0: Well, it's good to see you this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. And let me, while you're finding your place, encourage you to plan to be here for the Bible conference. We're looking forward to God's blessings, and we're privileged to have two of God's servants who are really preachers of the Word of God who'll pour out their hearts under the power of the Holy Spirit share what God has given them, and we're looking forward to having Brother Joe Arthur and then Brother Jason Gaddis. and uh, I hope you'll plan to be here. Bring someone with you. Call your friends. Uh, there are people in other churches that would like to hear them if they just knew about it and knew that they were going to be here. Now, we've sent out a lot of mailers to people, and you probably receive yours, and we've sent them to pastors, and sometimes they don't, uh, they don't uh, tell their church about it. Uh, They probably mean to, but sometimes they just don't get it done. So call some of your friends and invite them, and especially if you have some unsaved people you've been praying for, do your best to get them here. And uh, hopefully we'll see some folks saved, too, during the conference. Jonah chapter 2, if you'll look there, Jonah chapter 2. Today we're going to talk about the prayer of Jonah, the prayer of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, and uh, let's read these verses. We'll go through verse 9 today, although verse 10 is the last one in the chapter. We're going to stop at verse 9. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I. Now that word hell there is the word sheol, and he's talking about really the place of the departed or a subterranean retreat is one way it can be uh, translated, a subterranean retreat. And that's where he was, in the belly of the whale, and he was facing death. So that's what he's talking about when he says he he cried out uh, of the belly of hell or the belly of Sheol. And uh, thou heardest my voice, verse 2, for thou hadst. Cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy ways passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, surrounded me everywhere, even to the soul, the depth closed me round about the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly there in verse 1. Now, he didn't pray about it when he was going to buy a ticket to Tarsus. He was backslidden. And the backslidden people don't pray like they should. And especially if they know they're going out of God's will, they're not going to pray about it. He didn't pray about sleeping during the storm. He didn't pray about uh, whether or not he was to obey God. But now things are a little different, aren't they? Now he's in trouble. Now he really has some problems. And so we want to look at about three different areas as we look at this uh, lesson today. Number one, the affliction-driven principle. Affliction-driven principles. In verse 2, he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. I, I said, and I said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. When did you last pray? How long did you pray? What did you pray about? Uh, do you spend time regularly, daily, in prayer to God? Or does it take a crisis to really get you on your knees or to get you in an attitude of prayer? We should be praying all of the time and worship, worshiping God all the time in prayer. And we shouldn't wait until a crisis comes to really spend that quality time with God in our prayer lives and so many times we as God's people get away from that we have a lot of other priorities that come into our lives all of these things and our time schedules are pressed we have very little margin we should have some but we have very little but we must have time to pray we've got to have time take time out to pray and worship God in our prayers all the time. Uh, Daniel was that kind of person. We've been studying the book of Daniel on Wednesday night. Daniel was a man of prayer, wasn't he? And he prayed three times a day, and he opened those windows back toward Jerusalem because that's what he was taught to do. That's what uh, the law told him to do. And so he just kept on praying. Well, he ran into a crisis. But he was already praying before he had the crisis. And so when the crisis came, when he was told that he wasn't to pray anymore, that nobody was to pray unless they called on the king, then he had that crisis. He had to make up his mind, what am I going to do? Well, it was sort of an easy thing for him in a way, I believe, because he was so used to praying, he just kept on praying. And when a crisis came, it was just routine for him to continue praying because he prayed before the affliction. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. It was a habit. It was a practice in his life. So it was a no-brainer for him to just keep on praying even though he was going to face some consequences that seemed dire but was actually going to bring honor and glory to God. So a motivated rebel is what we see in Jonah in verse 2. He said, I cried by reason of my affliction. he, He was in that belly of the whale, belly of the big fish, and he really knew that he was going to go through some problems and probably thought at that point in time he was going to die. You know, affliction is a great motivator. It really is. Pain and heartache and disappointment and sorrows can really motivate our lives. We look at Samson. Think about his life. Samson got out of God's will. He had plenty of opportunities to do the right thing, but he was disobedient to God. But then... Judges 16:28 says, O oh Lord, God, remember me. And what had happened to him? His eyes, both of them had been put out. He was slaving there in bondage. And now he was in a, a, a situation where he really needed to pray to God. And he realized that he had been disobedient and this affliction had come upon him. So he said, Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for, uh, for my two eyes. And so God allowed that. But the point we're seeing is that he really stayed out of the will of God. He was not a praying person up until this time. But when he had problems, boy, he got with it and he prayed. Affliction can cause us to pray. And uh, sometimes God has to use that to bring us to that place. And then we see a miserable reward that he had. We know that perhaps he got some pleasure out of being out of God's will for a while. In other words, he didn't have to pay the price that God wanted him to pay. He didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. He hated them. He was prejudiced against them. They probably had killed some of his family members and, They were horrible in the way that they would do things. And so he really didn't want to go, and he didn't want to pay that price, and he was just sort of cruising along like a lot of Christians who don't want to pay the price to be separated and dedicated to God. And so he's moving along out of God's will. Things aren't going terribly bad for him. Sometimes that's the way it is. We think just because God doesn't club us right away that everything's okay when really in reality it is not. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.25, there's pleasure in sin how long? For a season. And many times there is pleasure. It satisfies the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. It satisfies that for a season, for a little while. But Proverbs reminds us of this principle in 15.21. Folly is joy, J-O-Y, to him that is destitute of wisdom. In other words, living in sin seems to have pleasure. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. So sometimes the path of disobedience can be smooth sailing. It really can. And we can go along in smooth sailing for a while, but the season of sin... Is always short-lived. It's going to catch up with us. We know the principle. We reap what we're going to say, uh, going to sow, and we always reap that. Now, think about this. He didn't want to pay the price to do what God told him to do. But compare that with where he is now. Which would have been easier to have done? To have been thrown out of the ship into the into the um, belly of a great fish and to be spewed out upon the bank later on upon the beach, that experience, you say, well, that was probably a pretty cool experience for him. No, I don't think he thought it was a cool experience for him. I don't think he thought, hey, I'm the only one that's ever survived from a big fish. I think he was scared. I think he knew he was in trouble. And he told the guys, throw me over. I'm the one. I've got sin in my life. It's my problem. It's my fault and so they did what he said but when you compare that there's really really no comparison so look at verses 3 through 6 for thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about surrounded all around me the water you Just imagine if you can this happening to you thrown over in the ocean uh, I've been out deep sea fishing and I've been out on a, a cruise or two and And when I look down at the ocean and all, I want to stay on the boat. Amen? I have no desire uh, to jump out or be thrown overboard. But he said, You cast me into the deep, and the floods compassed me about. Remember, there was a storm going on until God stopped it. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Now he's thinking more properly about things. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, my breath, even to where I thought I was going to lose my life. The depth closed me round about. The weeds, the seaweeds, were wrapped about my head. He's in a predicament. He's not happy about it. And he knows that he is in trouble. And then in verse 6, he says, I went down in the, uh, to the bottom of the mountains, in other words, there are, there are mountains in the ocean, they' down in the bottom. I went down to the very bottom of those, uh, the bottom of those mountains that are there. And uh, the earth with her bars was about me. I couldn't get back up to it. And yet hast thou brought my life uh, brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God, you spared me from dying and from wiping me out and for letting me die. And so uh, he's looking at the situation he has there, and I would imagine in his mind he thought, you know, if I'd have just listened to God, if I'd have done what God told me to do in the first place, I wouldn't be in this mess. Have you ever been there? Don't, don't raise your hand or don't nod. But I would imagine everybody in this room has been there at times when we were out of God's will, we knew we were out of God's will, and we stayed out of God's will for a period of time and then we got in trouble, and then, oh, we got to pray. Well, I'm glad God is merciful, but we have to make those things right proverbs eleven nineteen as righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death there's there is a, a sin unto death to the christian you always have this argument well. We can't, we're not going to die until our time. I firmly believe you can, you can accelerate that time. There's a sin under death. You can stop it or you can accelerate your life span and die because you do not get that sin straightened out in your life. And we can call it a premature death. And I know God knows that before it ever happens, but God, God's foreknowledge is not causative and we have decisions to make. But uh, sometimes it's that way. And if we practice evil in our lives, if we do not get sin and judge sin in our lives, not that we're going to be perfect all the time, but we need to deal with it immediately when when we are uh, out of God's will and when we know we failed God, we need to deal with it right away. If we continue in it, he will pursue it to his own death. And then Ecclesiastes reminds us, chapter ten, verse one: "Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor." Uh, That the apothecary is a drugstore, and if you go down to get some medicine, let's say you're going to say, "Pour me out some cough medicine," and they poured it out and had flies in it, do you think you'd want to drink it? I think I'd rather cough than to drink that. And so he says, "This is like dead flies in the apothecary." they send for a stinking savor, so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. It doesn't take a whole lot. A little folly can make the whole thing stink. So we need to realize that. Affliction-driven principles. Secondly, adversity-driven prayers. Adversity-driven prayers. Look at verse uh, 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. When I, when I came to the end of my rope, when, when I had nowhere else to go, when I was in a mess, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. I prayed. I got a hold of God. I prayed to the Lord. Now, we would call this a cry from a foxhole, wouldn't we? There are a lot of Christians who practice foxhole praying. But we should pray all the time. But this is uh, foxhole prayer. And uh, that was exactly what he was doing in this mess. He decided to pray. Well, it's better to pray like that in a foxhole than not to. But it's better not to be in the foxhole, so to speak. Psalm 69, 1 through 5, listen to what David said, the psalmist. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I'm sinking down. There's no no foundation under me. I'm coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I I restored rather that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness, and my sins are not hid from thee. He's saying to God, I'm really in a mess. I've gotten out of your will, and even my enemies uh, are able to work against me. Things work against me, not for me. That's what he's saying. Because, God, you knew my foolishness, you knew my sins, and they're not hid from you. They're never hid from God, really. They're not hidden from him. So, cries from a foxhole. David's crying out in trouble. And then concern from a father. Concern from a father. He said, my prayer came unto thee in thine holy temple. God heard his prayer. He knew that God heard his prayer. And so... When his soul fainted, he just went to the Lord. And I'm glad that the father is always in love with the prodigal and always wants the prodigal to come back home. Um, we see that story in the prodigal son. Suppose his father had said when he started back up the lane, I hate you and you've hurt me and and uh, you've done me wrong. And he had done all of that, but no, he loved him and his interest. And his son was that he comes home, that fellowship is restored. And when we get out of God's will, that's his main interest. God doesn't find a whole lot of pleasure in chastening us. He does it out of love. But his, the thing he wants more than anything else is to get us back on the right road and back in his will. We don't lose our salvation. We lose the fellowship. And he wants to restore that sweetness and that fellowship with him. And so the prodigal uh, is the one that the father wants to come back home, although he's disappointed in. Sometimes uh, God puts us in the dark to show us that he's the great light. He'll allow things to come. We call them dark times, uh, bad times, dismal times in our life. Vance Havner, who is a great man of God, said this, and I quote him, Sometimes your medicine bottle has on it shake well before using. How many of you saw a bottle like that? Shake well before using. That usually means it's going to taste like the devil. But anyway, shake well before using. That is what God has to do with some of his people. That's what God has to do with some of his people. He has to shake them well before they're ever usable. And that's so true. Sometimes God has to shake us up a little bit so he can use us. Micah 7:18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Aren't you glad God delights in mercy? He delights in mercy. He doesn't like our sin, but if we confess and get right, he will be merciful to us. Isaiah forty three twenty five. I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Thank God He is merciful. And He blots out our transgressions and He does not remember our sins and does not remember them, as the Scripture says, against us anymore. And thank God for that. God really really never tires of our repenting. That doesn't mean we go out and sin and just ask forgiveness, sin and ask forgiveness, sin and ask forgiveness, and ask forgiveness, and just act like there's nothing to it. That's not genuine repentance. But when we know, when we're convicted, and we know we've gotten out of God's will, you've lost your temper with your mate, you've been jealous of somebody, you've been envious of somebody, uh, somehow or another you've stopped witnessing, or you are or you, uh, quit reading your Bible or some things you allowed into your mind and your thought life that didn't belong there, those things come in. But God, when we repent, God uh, God accepts that. And so the sacrifices of God, listen, what are we going to bring? An animal, or, uh, a lamb, or some kind of turtle dove? Uh, we're going to bring that to God now in the New Testament? No. Here's what he says: The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is truly sorry for sin. Doesn't take it lightly. Doesn't just say, "Oh well, I live in grace and I can sin." And I say, "Oh God, I'm sorry." But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, Thou wilt not despise. Psalm 51:37. Thou wilt not, uh, 51.17 rather, thou wilt not despise. So it is affliction-driven principles and adversity-driven prayers. And then thirdly, avoidance-driven promises. Look at verse 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I'll pay that I have vowed. I'll pay you. Now he's really, really sweet here and really cooperative with God in sort of the foxhole or in the belly of the big fish. Now, when we make promises to God, ladies and gentlemen, we should keep those promises. We should keep our promises. And um, if we're just making those promises to escape punishment, that's not the best way to do it. That's not the right motive. But when we make a commitment to God, that's a serious thing. If you've made commitments to God and you've gone back on them, you need to get that right and and not allow that to happen. So it's a careful voice we see here, but I will sacrifice unto thee for the voice of thanksgiving. I sometimes wonder if Jonah was really thankful because when you get on, he wasn't thankful in chapter 1, and you get into chapter 4, he wasn't too thankful there because he's arguing with God, and he didn't like what God has done. And he said, I knew you. I knew if I preached to him, you'd bring a revival, and that's not what I wanted. And he was pouting, and he was angry. So I don't know if he was really keeping, keeping this vow like he should have, but it wasn't the best thing for him to do either way. James said, Let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Be careful about the words we speak, what we say and the promises that we make and especially that we make to God. So it was a careful voice there. Then it was a continued vow. I'll pay that which I have vowed, he said in verse 9. Deuteronomy says, If a man vow vow unto the Lord a swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Numbers 30 verse 2. That's what we ought to do deuteronomy twenty three twenty one when thou shalt vow vow unto the Lord thy God thou shalt not slack to pay it don't fail to pay it for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. so make a vow, keep the vow. Somebody said we can solve all of our decisions by making one decision one decision and that is to keep all the decisions we've already made. If we'll just make that one decision, I'm going to do what I've already told God I was going to do from the time I got saved, that would probably take care of all of it. And then we have a certain victory that we see here. In verse 9, he at least gives this truth, and this is probably the most vivid truth in all of the book of Jonah, where he says salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And that's absolutely true. Salvation is of the Lord. And victory is never going to come over sin until we receive Christ as our Savior. Psalm 3739, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. First you get saved, he's your Father. He's there during those times. And then he said in Psalm twenty seven Some trust in chariots, some in horses but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We're saved. We trust in Him. We call on Him. So here's what we need to do. Build a relationship with God. Get saved and build a relationship with Him. How do we do that? Prayer and Bible reading. Prayer and Bible reading. Obeying the Lord. And then don't wait for trouble to come for you to get things right in your life that may not be right. You don't have to have those hard times or those terrible times. The best thing to do is obey God. The best thing to do is do what He says to do. And those who have not have learned that down the road they face that. And it's a very difficult time when we don't do what God tells us to do, whatever it may be. When we think of the Apostle Paul, Paul had a lot of troubles. Paul had a lot of problems. Paul had a lot of persecution. He was stoned, beaten, all of those things that came in his life. doesn't mean you're out of God's will. But here's the thing about Paul. He had perfect peace in all of that. Why? Because he was in God's will. And it didn't bother him. Those things did not trouble him. Why? He was in God's will. He was in the center of the very will of God. And so The Bible tells us that he had perfect peace. And so you and I can have perfect peace too. Where does that peace come from? It comes from being right with God. As a child of God, being in fellowship with God. And I'll leave you with this quote. A short prayer can reach God. A short prayer can reach God if you don't live too far away. A short prayer can reach God if you don't live too far away. So live in his will and you're on praying ground and you can have peace in your heart. Father, thank you again for the lessons that we have from the Word of God. We know that all Scripture is given by you and is profitable and we thank you for these lessons that we learn from the story, the real account of a man by the name of Jonah. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.